Welcome to episode 26 of Auto Off Topic. I'm your host, Andrew. And I am your other host, Brad. So, we're back for another episode. We are in and miserable New England. Mike, my, my mic sounds weird to you? I don't think so. Okay, excellent. Uh, no, it's, echoes, it's echoing on my side. Maybe turn my headphones down a little bit. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I think it's all right, though. Apologies if it sounds weird, but could just be the weird Tuesday juju because we're not recording on a Wednesday. Yeah, I don't know. But it is raining like it was raining last week. So. Yeah, and it's 42 degrees outside, so it's might as well be winter again. Yeah. But Freaking New England. It's not snowing, and it's been clear. It's barely not snowing. It's like 47 degrees out there. And Whatever. it's like pelting ice out of the sky. No, it's not. Just it feels like. so dramatic. I just don't like it, man. <laughs> it was cold on Saturday because we were outside all day. We were all day outside, yes. Mm-hmm. And we went... Rally crossing because we haven't been rally crossing in probably well, I haven't been in like six years. I think you've been even longer. Yeah, it might even be seven or eight years. Yeah. So we went with our local club, which is the New England region of the SCCA. I think my lack of rally crossing coincides with my purchasing of a house. Yes, I think so too. So that was two thousand nine. And then, so what we mean by rally cross? We mean basically if you're familiar with autocross, because I don't think every SCCA region has rallycross. They don't, and a lot of people now are probably familiar with like the European format rallycross. Now that it's become global rallycross, yeah, it's, it's not the same, not at all. <laughs> no, this is uh, very much the same as autocross, but in a field, so loose surface or a gravel parking lot, set up with cones. Same rules, basically. Basically, hit a cone, two two seconds penalty. But the times are cumulative. Instead of fastest run of the day wins, you need to be consistent all day long, all day, all day long for all the runs. And the person with the lowest elapsed time, just like rally, yep, wins. The you win in your class. In your class. Yeah. Now, the main reason there are a couple of slight changes from autocross is in autocross, you can run the same course all day without the surface changing much. Yes. So you don't need to worry about course maintenance. So you can run 100 cars four times each on the same course, and it'll stay the same. The problem with rallycross is as the day wears on, the loose surface, be it grass, be it gravel, be it whatever, gets torn up, and you can't keep digging a hole. So if you saw the picture I posted yesterday... Um, little explanation. It was a picture of a bumper off of a car. Yeah, it's on the Instagram page, right? And, yes. Yep. Uh, yep. Bumper off of a car and a like a and shovel some splash shields, yeah, and some splash shields and a rake. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, due to safety, uh, they'll let all the cars run at least once for and, consistency. For and consistency. Safety, yeah. And then if uh, some ruts start to develop, uh, in fact, the corner we were on, a couple cars. A couple of the faster guys were getting a little bit too much air. Yeah, that's what gave us concern to call it in to control it. The corner was getting a little too rutted up when we saw her. Because we, there's also, you know, people who had never done it before, and you don't want them to catch, a, catch a rut the wrong way. <laughs> yes. So, and basically all we had to do was move the cone in a few feet after the safety stewards came over. Yep. And then they ran second runs or third runs, whatever runs we were on. They just ran them again, and 
it was fine. Right, but the course had changed after all the cars had run it at least the same amount of times. Yes. So, but it's funny because we were standing there, you know, working the corner because you work a corner to uh, reset cones if somebody hits them or whatever, and we're watching it. And that one particular Volkswagen went through and two wheeled it, you know, two right side wheels in the ground, two left side wheels in the air. And we're like, this is getting a little deep. Yeah. Um, and that was an experienced driver. So we said, if somebody amateur comes through here and you know hooks this wrong it's going to be a problem and no sooner did we call it in but that Subaru wagon came through it bottomed out yeah it was an outback like a probably a 2000 to like a 2000 yeah like a legacy or yeah legacy outback the the big one yeah it dragged the rear bumper as it went through the rut and just left it behind yep <laughs> like just a clean break just poop. <laughs> well it helped that it was a new england um Subaru and had some rust on the metal brackets all together too yeah i'm sure that was a little bit uh helpful in it being sheared off cleanly but it was definitely like well i'm glad we called that in now so you don't you can bring a nice car to rally cross but you know for your car safety is not guaranteed this uh this discussion goes way back to back when we first started doing it actually we always had the debate what was harder on a car rally cross or autocross now you and i never had the debate because you and i obviously always said rally cross is harder on a car it's way harder way harder on a car but the argument on the other side has always been it's not as hard on components. So if you're running a car on loose surfaces, this is the argument. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm also not going to deny it because we have some friends that used to make this argument. So they also probably cared a little bit less about the physical appearance of their car than we do. Um, if you take a nice car there, it's going to get scratched, period. The front bumper is going to get turfed. Uh, the wheels are going to get turfed. Yes. The bottoms of the rockers are going to get turfed. The as bottom we, of the body. As we learned from the Mirage, the entire bottom of the body will basically you, be sandblasted and become bare metal over, over after time. If you don't have a skid plate, you will dent the oil pan. Over and over. You'll rip um, exhaust. Um, what do you call that piece? Flex flex pipes. Yep. You'll rip constantly. Uh, but anyway, the argument always was that the softer surface was easier on brakes and easier on ball joints and whatnot. I disagree. Um, it's a pretty rough, rough go with the car because when you're autocrossing, the car's not bouncing up in the air and occasionally even catching air under some wheels. You might wreck wheel bearings autocrossing, right? With that's super a, sticky that's tires an and easy stuff. Maintenance repair. It's very easy. Uh, we're not really selling it too well, but if you're going to do it, do it in an old car. And if you're going to do it in a nice car, don't go into it thinking that you're going to. Take it out, bring it to the car wash, and go win the car show next week. Because no. that's not going to happen. It's fine. You can do it in a new car, but it's it's going to give it some patina. Yeah, patina. Plastic so, parts will be missing. I believe we used to use that term, rally patina. Right. Because the Mirage was full of it. It was. It was also full of 230,000 mile just being driven patina. But, hey, you know. Well, when we started rally crossing it, it was like at 160,000, I think. Yep. But it still wasn't perfect. No, 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 no. Car had a rough life from day one. No, but uh, it didn't help it any what we did to it. But no, but as a testament to the car, as we've said over and over again, that thing went through at least five years of rallycross, mm-hmm. and like once a month for five years straight. And I commuted to and from work like sixty-five miles each way, and even my sister owned that car for a while and commuted to college. You know. A hundred something miles away, not every day, but you know she stayed out there. 
So that car went from like 90,000 miles when I got it to 230 and never had a major mechanical part replaced. Just maintenance, head gaskets a couple of times, timing belt a couple of times, a couple of clutches and brakes. Wearable items, essentially. I think the clutch was done once. It was done twice. Okay. Because it was done once when I first got it back from my sister, and then we did it again probably 100,000 miles later. I did some axles, wheel bearings, struts. The axles were done a few times. Lower control arms. Rally cross. Mm-hmm. We broke some axles. Rarely, but we did break one pretty good once. Yep. That was the only time the car didn't drive home under its own power. Yeah. And thankfully, it was at the closest event to home. Yes. So, but that's Rallycross. It's autocross with dirt and two changed rules. It's the cumulative time. And in autocross, if you hit a cone and the cone stays in its box, the chalk box on the ground, you don't get penalized for it. Yeah. In Rallycross, if you so much as graze a cone, even if it doesn't fall over or move, you get penalized for it because there's no box because it's in dirt. There's no proof of where it was exactly. So any contact, if the cone wiggles, you get two seconds. Mm-hmm. But basically, that's why we call that car the Rally Mirage. That's the, not basically. That's exactly that's what we call exactly that car why. the Rally Mirage, which actually you put a really old video of it up today, I saw. Yeah. The video I, from 2000. It, and, almost 10 years to the day that yeah, we went rally crossing. 2007. It was yeah, April 22nd, 2007. Yeah, same course, so... The, uh, well, same event location. Then. Yeah. Well, the course is very similar, actually. The local uh, the local SECA chapter is nothing if not consistent, I guess, with yes. timing. So that car was slow car fast. The definition of slow car fast. It was medium slow car fast. No. It wasn't like... It's slow car fast. Okay. No, it's a slow car. It's 120 horsepower. It's a slow car. It's 120 horsepower, but the car only weighed like 2,000 pounds. Yeah, but it's still... What, zero to 60, seven seconds, eight seconds? Probably more like nine, but then it's a slow car. It was an enjoyable slow car, though. It wasn't like an automatic tempo from 1980. No, no, no. The no, car no. was fun to drive. It was very entertaining to drive. Yeah, because it had a five-speed. And it had that 16-valve 1.8 that revved a lot. Yeah. And liked to rev. Yeah. And you could just keep it spinning all the time and not even worry about braking it for some reason. So anyways, it it was 120 horsepower, open front diff, front-wheel drive, we put snow tires on it because that was what you're allowed in the stock front-wheel drive class. You're not allowed rally yeah, tires. Yeah, no rally gravel tires. You're allowed snow tires. Um, and it was all about momentum and smoothness would get you really fast times in that car. And basically, the if you could, the way to drive that car in the dirt, you rarely had to touch the brakes. You could let off the gas and it would weight shift to the front and then the dirt would kind of drag it. And you really wouldn't have to touch the brakes, and that's how you could be super fast with it. Yeah. The only momentum. time you hit a lot of braking was during the snow events when you needed to get the rear end to slide around a little bit. Yeah. And then you just use the e-brake. Yeah. So that car was pretty consistent and took uh, quite a few trophies with that. First, second, thirds. Yeah. We were pretty, pretty consistent. Nearly won a championship. It came really close I one think year. it's because we didn't do enough events that year. I think the guy that beat us. No. No? No, I did, I did them all. You couldn't. Okay. Yeah, I, I lost to him by like three points or something. Yeah, and it was pretty close. We were back and forth. Regardless. On Saturday, I finally took a turn driving. We've talked about it on the show. Jordan's STI, friend of the show here, a friend of ours, that we've been working on 
what, two years? Yeah, off and on. Not like steady every weekend for two years. It's not really been a no, but top it, priority project. It was a long-term project. He's owned the car for a long time. It's new, right? No, like second owner, but probably but 10 years. Almost, almost, it was almost new when he bought it. He bought it around the same time I bought mine. Identical black STI. Black STI, yep. 2005. And he was getting it ready. He had already always planned to use it as a rallycross car, I guess, after the first time he did it. Yeah, once well, the first time he did it and he ripped the little fender flares off the back. Yeah. Uh, but the car developed like the... It's got 150K in it, so it needed some maintenance. The turbo yeah, went a, bad. It was a daily driven car for a long time. So we had to put a new turbo on it. And then the whole thing with the stupid Mishimoto intake that didn't fit right because the intake boot ripped. And it seemed like every time we fixed something, something else broke because 150,000 mile car. Yeah. And it wasn't like it wasn't like we fixed the radiator and broke a radiator hose. It was like we finally got the Mishimoto intake system all set up. And then the power oh, steering line's like power up. steering line let go at the bottom, and then you get that all taken care of. And uh, exhaust hanger broke, or there's always something stupid that broke every single time. Yeah. So finally, we got the car all set. I think he finally went. Should have checked with him. I think the first event was he did was in January or maybe the end of the last season. But I'm it, not sure. He's I think you now. I think it was January was the first one he really went to. But I hadn't had time. You hadn't had time to actually. Because he always offered a second seat for us. I still haven't had time. Yeah. So I finally had time on Saturday to do it. Holy crap. To get into a car, this is a totally stock STI with like catback exhaust. Yeah, minor bolt-ons. Intake and exhaust, and that's yeah, pretty much it. That's it. 300 horsepower. It was warm enough to run gravel tires. Because if you, he's running in uh, modified all-wheel drive, so you can run gravel tires and the interior from... The front seat's back is basically stripped out. Yep. It's got a harness bar. And what seats are they? The Cobro, the FX ones. Okay. Um, and it has the, you can send your stock struts to feel in California and they will revalve them to rally, match. Rally spec. No, they'll revalve them to match King Springs, which are lift springs. Okay. They're Australian. And... The car is awesome. It's ridiculous. It's we, not your first time rally crossing no. an STI either, because you used, you do used yours actually at this event, I think. Correct? It was at the one that was seven years ago. Yeah, we have some pictures of that. I got to find on my computer and I'll post them. We also took so normally an STI comes with giant Brembos, but you can't run a gravel tire right. with giant Brembos because they don't make gravel tires that big. They only make them in fifteens and sixteens. So then what you do is you take the, off the 05 to 07 WRX came stock with four pot, two pots, those red ones that you see. Yep. Those are actually the factory gravel brakes. And they come with a TR, was they call the package they called it? Tuner ready or something they called it? Something, but you yeah. could, they came on most of them. Okay. So you can actually, you can buy those and then you buy the right calipers because the the 05 and up STI has a different bolt pattern, the 501.14, so you get the right brake Rot- calipers. Ro- rotors, you mean? Yeah, rotors. And there's special rotors for the rear because the e-brake is inside the hub. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit of a challenge, I guess, for him to find all those parts. But once he got them, everything bolted together. We got it all bled. And then he runs Team Dynamic wheels with some BF Goodrich rally tires. Which are powder-coated green. 
Or painted green, we're not sure. Because they bought him used. But not not because that's what he wanted. He did not want the black car with green wheels monster theme. It just kind of happened that way because he bought used wheels with tires. It works. It does work. But it also makes it really easy to make fun of him, so. Whatever. I'd like to thank his sponsors, uh, Monster Energy. Yes. And Vintage Imports of New England. Yes. Shameless plug. Yeah, you need to get some magnets on that car. Oh, we're going to. Don't worry. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that car is so incredibly fast. I had the chance to, I think I talked about it, that I went to spectate at the uh, Stafford Springs event, which was an ice event. So he had snow tires in the car. Yeah, back in January. And I was just, I just went for a ride along real quick because I was watching his dogs. And uh, that car accelerates so fast on a loose surface. Like you just don't expect it. Like I just wasn't used to it. I went for a ride along with you, actually, because um, Jordan had another passenger when he was driving. And then I went for a ride along when you drove the car. Um, Excuse me. And you're right. It doesn't have any business being on loose dirt and hooking up. But those gravel tires and the 300 horsepower car, it was just, it was stupidity. Well, I, like, scared you because you weren't ready for I it. Ready. The, only, got- the only thing I've ever rally crossed in is our friend Keith has the stock WRX, yeah. which we ran on, like, all seasons, and the front-wheel drive snow-tired Mirage. So I've never been in a car that when you matted the throttle in loose dirt, that it hooked up and went. Well, that's the other thing. The car has the magic dips. The 05 got the helical front LSD. It's right. got a rear LSD, and it's got the active center diff. So as soon as you, instead of in the Mirage, you'd mash the throttle, and you might light up one of the front tires right. if it was loose, or it might hook to one side. This car just digs down and goes, as long as you didn't bog it. If you kept it in the boost, it's just it's stupid. It's crazy fast. Yeah, I love it. And I finally figured out that uh, left foot braking was the easiest way. You just kind of kept the throttle at a certain point and then just slowed it down by tapping the brake with your left foot. That also helped keep the car in boost and in power, so you didn't have as much of a chance of bogging it down, too. Yeah. But, yeah, I went for one of the ride-alongs with you, and there was a, a pretty tight hairpin in the afternoon event, uh, afternoon portion of the event. And, I mean, it was it was like magic when the car went around. It, it felt like I was riding... And navigate it for a Gigi Galli in Monte Carlo. It was pretty ridiculous. Oh, it makes you... The car definitely made me look cooler. Yeah, it makes you look like a hero. <laughs> well, it makes you look like a hero, but I was not fast. You weren't... Towards the end of the day, you got faster. I did get faster, but I was not as fast as the people that have been doing it for a while in all-wheel drive cars. Well, because smooth is fast. Yes. And hanging the tail out is fun. <laughs> yeah. But there's somewhere in between where you can be fast and fun, but you were just out there having a good time. Well, As evidenced by some of the pictures I've seen from the event where your open face helmet and all you see is your teeth. Well, once you, like Jordan said, once you hit that throttle, and it, I like the way Subaru sound, and I like the way turbo sound. And as soon as you hear that little burble and then the turbo spooling, and you feel that torque throw you in the seat from that 2.5, you're like, whatever, McRae, Higgins... Block, <laughs> Hoonigan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going sideways. Yep. This is so cool. This is the appeal of rally, though. Yeah. You know, the appeal of rally cross to us is you can do that and not get arrested. Yeah. And it had been so long since I'd done anything in an area where I could flog a car in relative safety mm-hmm. without getting in trouble that uh, it just felt really good to do it. Because, like, some people do different things, blow off stress. 
And we used to go autocrossing and rally crossing all the time and Some karting. Some people go to, do to the it. gym. Some people go karting. And we hadn't done it. We just haven't been doing it lately. Which I'd like to get back to karting because that's really fun every now and then. It's just too expensive right now. Yeah. It is. It can be expensive, but it was nice to just beat on rental go-karts and not have to worry about them. That's true. But I think a car... So I definitely... I may have hit the most cones. I was going to ask, just about to ask, how many cones did you hit on the entire day, sir? It was 16. So 16 cones, that's 32 seconds worth of penalties. Yes. That's pretty bad. Which is probably more cones than I've ever hit in any season of autocross or rallycross. Maybe the first rallycross season, or like one of the first snow rallycrosses, you might have hit 16 cones. I don't even cones. think I hit that many. No. Because wasn't, I wasn't hitting them on purpose either. There was only one that I definitely dead-centered. Yep. The other ones I was just, <laughs> yeah, because the car, the car understeered and it was like just faster to go it through was, it. It was just in soupy mud. Yeah. It would it would cost you more than two seconds to try to back off enough to get around it. So exactly. It's just like, damn the torpedoes, this cone is going to die. Yeah. And the other ones were just, I misjudged the width of the car and just wiped out a whole row of them as I, I went through a gate. I would say my favorite moment of the day was on that particular event that you're talking, particular run that you're talking about because I was riding in the passenger seat and you came through the finish line. Um, and you're like, yes, 97. And I said, plus five. And you're like, God damn it. Cause I could see the cones in my passenger side mirror, just like landing still. As you said it, <laughs> I just, I had the whole car was just like one tire width over too much. So whatever. It's also a lot wider than the Mirage was. So we'll give you that. I did own one. I did autocross it for a long time, but I haven't owned it since so long. 2008. So oh, that late really? Yeah. But no, it was fun. It was fun being a passenger. Um, I'm actually going to use my truck and trailer to the next event because it's a little bit further away. Yep. So he wants to make sure he can get home without any, you know, incidences. So we're going to trailer it up. And uh, because I'm trailering it up for him, I'm going to co-drive. And I'll be the, you should. Second, I'll be, I'll be the second driver. So you can borrow my event. new helmet that I didn't get to use. Yeah, I may have to do that because I don't have a helmet. Mine's because, too old now. yeah, the, I, my helmet timed out because it was a Snell 2000. Yeah, so was mine. It had to be an 05 minimum. Uh, so I bought a, I thought I had bought it in time, or I, I did buy one in time. But it was sold out. It was sold out. So uh, Bell Helmets right now having like some huge back order issue, not getting enough materials to make enough helmets. And I wanted a Bell because it came with the posts ready to go for a Hans device for later on. Okay. And none of the uh, less expensive ones came with it. You'd have to add them on later. And I also just wanted a nicer helmet because I had a G-Force and that was good for like 10 years. But I just wanted to treat myself to a little bit nicer helmet. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't order it. It didn't come in. It was from like Jags. Their eBay store, I thought maybe they'd have it in stock because they had it posted on they eBay. They had it listed on eBay? Yeah, stupid eBay. So it wasn't there. But then I found another seller that was in stock, and it did ship, and I'll probably get it tomorrow. So it was just a week late. Yeah, so you can borrow it. Uh, unfortunately, since I didn't have it, I couldn't mount a GoPro to it. I tried to use a GoPro chest harness, but that didn't really work that no, well. I saw it was the Subaru emblem in the middle of the steering wheel. Yeah. yeah. Especially because he has those... Um, seats in there too, so you're sitting down right four inches lower than yeah. stock. But whatever, we'll try it. So I'll, for when you go, I'll get the I'll mount a GoPro mount to it, and you can mount yours. Yeah, no problem. And try it because I like that uh, when they're mounted on the helmet at like chin level. Yeah, it gives a pretty like, first person cool. view, almost, yeah. like a video game style view. Yeah, 
and it gets your head kind of moving around. I also I'm hoping there's going to be some service up there because I like to bring a mount too for the phone and do some maybe some live streams on the Facebook page of the of the laps. Yeah. So I'll try to figure that out if there's any service up there. Mount Snow, there might not be. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There may not be, so I might have to wait till the next event afterwards. But that might be a cool little feature to add for our three fans. So what did this get, get us fired up to do? Go rally crossing, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> and what we've always done is we've done front-wheel drive rally cross, and now we've done all-wheel drive rally cross. And I have a little experience with your Subaru, and you have experience with your Subaru rally crossing. And when, I don't know, did you ever drive Keith's car rally cross? No. Okay, I did the one event at um, whatever fairgrounds that was at. The other fairgrounds. Stafford Springs. No, not Stafford Springs. It was different fairgrounds. Um, it was a, winter, a summertime event. Uh, but anyway, so now we're going to try some rear-wheel drive rally cross. Which wasn't a popular class like 10 years ago, but apparently just more and more it's people are doing it It's always been popular with me. <laughs> I've always liked watching the rear-wheel drive cars because I remember Tim had the Plymouth Arrow forever. Which yep. was like the first car, rallycross car that I was like, oh my god, I need to have an old Colt or Arrow in this case. Yeah, it was a Fire Arrow. Yeah, um, which is available again, and it's still for sale, and it's like a dollar ninety five. But I just can't. It's so beat up now. It's um, basically parts. But we've been talking about the Starion forever, and kind of like, what are we going to do with this thing once we get it together? Well, it's now going to become an autocross rallycross TSD car. Yeah, so. just a general fun driving thrash car. Yes, we have seats, we have sheet metal, we have some tires for the street, we have snow tires. We don't have rally gravel tires for it, but no, we'll live we'll with that snow for tires a little for while. Yeah. So buy some used gravels at some point. This will hopefully not be too long from now when this is happening. So we just need to get some more wrenching time in and get the thing back on the road. Yep. Because it's time to rear-wheel drive right yes. across. And everything else. I mean, we can even do a drift day in it if you want. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to use it for whatever, because the motor in the car only has 10,000 miles on it. The transmission's in perfect shape. It's just got an ugly body on it. So there let's you make go. it That's somewhat better. pretty and drive the crap out of it. No, just make it, put it back together so it's safe and drive it. Yes. And we'll do a little tribute kind of paint scheme to the old Starion race cars of yore. Whether it be a Marlboro car, or a rally art car, or I'm voting Marlboro or Advan car. I'd, well, the car's already white, and it'd be easier yeah. just to do the red triangle. Well, the rally art is pretty simple to do too, because it's a silver red triangle. Yeah, but that's just like so typical. I know. I, know. I like the Marlboro, but instead of actually writing Marlboro on it, just do the barcodes like or, they did. Yeah, or the Mitsubishi word itself. Yeah. Now we'll see what we do, but either way, it'll be fun. We get too carried away with the. Rally bling. <laughs> See the car running first. Yeah, that's true. That's we it. did that before, too, with the Mirage. We had, you know, blue hash marks to match our blue mud flaps and our... Hey, the car was fun. Our blue Red Bull exhaust tips. Hey, the car ran. It was, and it was fun to do that stuff when we didn't really have to worry about anything else. Mm-hmm. Because the car ran too well to have to worry about anything else. So, and we, I ran it that way on my daily commute, too. So, it was no, always interesting to run it in traffic, yeah. Everybody looked at it. I was like, what is that thing? It looks like a race car, but it doesn't have a cage. So it's kind of a poser car. Yeah. But it kind of was, but we did use it, so it wasn't that full poser. But So it sort of brings us into Project Car Updates. A little bit. Unless you want to take a break right now. Grab a beer. 
I, I'm down. I'm down with taking a break and grabbing a beer. All right, we're gonna take a quick pause. We'll grab a beer. We'll be right back. Now we're back, and we're back. Okay, what'd you do with that bottle opener? I put it right here in the middle of the table, so we can both reach it. There we go. All right, the auto off topic. Hot Wheels guy, bottle opener. Do, do the. Oh, the yeah, sound of there greatness. This is a very fancy beer that I've been waiting a while to purchase. Yeah. Uh, it was recommended to me by my um, favorite liquor store owner at Den Rock Liquors in Andover, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Southern Tier beer, a brewing company out of New York, which is pretty much always consistently awesome. I know this is not a beer podcast all the time, but this week it's going to be. Um, this is their Blackwater Creme Brulee Imperial Milk Stout. Uh, it's billed as a dessert beer. So it's perfect for this 10.30 at night podcast we're doing here. Um, not, not a desert beer. It's not a desert beer. It's a dessert beer brewed with vanilla beans. So it's a pretty fancy 10% alcohol, 20 proof. Um, Ooh, it might get silly. Milk stout, yeah. I don't think one beer is going to make it too silly. No. because We also just finished big cups of coffee each. So. Yes. But no, it's pretty dark. It's like a true motor oil beer. Yep. So, it, it smells strong. It, well, it's ten percent, which is yeah. You definitely smell the alcohol in it. Not the strongest of strong, but which I had that. Um, oh, was it Stillwater Bunny or something last night? It was similar, high alcohol, dark beer, real yep. stout. Well, I've been looking, waiting to purchase this for a while because it was a limited run. You probably can't even buy it anymore, but it's supposed to be like life changingly good. Ooh, wow! Is it life changingly good? Well, it's almost sweet. I'm trying to take a sip at the same time. No, it's really good. Talk, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's super, super good. All right. I had to go in front of the suite. So. All right. So uh, moving on to project car updates. Yeah. Do you I have take anything? my first sip. No, I have nothing. It's going to keep making you talk. Yeah, you can't take it's going to be warm and disgusting. Uh, I have nothing to report. I have not worked on a car. I have not done anything. I helped you and your dad paint your lift. Oh, that's right. So um, that's about it. So we went. Go ahead. You can take a sip. Thank you. So we went and uh, so my dad has a lift in his garage that is probably, I feel like we put that up in like 2005-ish. My life um, has changed. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Really good beer. <laughs> it was, a, it's a roll-on four-post lift with, I believe they're like 24-inch wide ramps, but they were powder-coated originally from the factory. It lasted a long time. It was a pretty... It held up a lot. Super long time. What we've, all the brake fluid we've spilled on it. And yeah, but eventually brake fluid broke down the, the powder the coat. powder coat, yep. And just cleaning it. And then you... He'd Driving park, cars on it. He'd park cars in the wintertime. They'd still have some salt and snow on them because he, he's an active garage that he uses. Right. And it started to Much just... Much to our chagrin. <laughs> yeah, it still started to, to give some surface rust. So, I mean, it's super thick steel, like... It's not going to rot. It would take like, a long time to rot through. Right. It's, it's like a bridge. But, yeah. It's really thick. But it was looking pretty haggard. So we wanted to fix it up before this summer so we could use it for the project. So I took the time with him the other day, Sunday morning. We ground off all the loose paint with a grinder. Yep. And then uh, Jordan and Brad came down afterwards, and we cleaned it off. Excuse me. We used this, like, POR. It's like etching stuff, like a yeah, it's metal a, prep. It's a metal prepping primer. It's a nice... Like semi gloss black. Yeah, well, the, the before you guys got there, we did this. It was this POR brand metal etch stuff. Oh, that was the like, acid stuff that was yeah, we got yeah, there. Yeah, it washed off of the water. Yeah, it removes uh, the rust and it preps the metal. A lot of the contamination that's on there. So Most of it came off. Yeah, 
and, but then we did two coats of black POR. Mm-hmm. And then apparently POR has a safety red color, which I was surprised at how well that red covered it, the black. Not only did it cover the black, but it pretty much matched all the original paint left in the lift. It looks brand new. Yeah, and the picture he sent us because he did the final coats of it. So. Yeah, it looks really, really good. Well, it's so it's, it's going to look really good when we have some video stuff coming on this year later yeah, on. So, so. Uh, I'm going to let it sit for like a week before we put any weight on it. Car tires. And uh, and then I think the first thing I want to check is the oil pressure in the Montero. The new Montero. The new one. The new to you Montero. Yep. Um, but other than that, uh, last week we checked on, after the the day after the podcast aired, we checked on my Gallant, and I did change the O2 sensor for the correct one, and that reads much better. But for the, those that don't remember, we had a discussion about the stuck wastegate, the aftermarket yes. O2 sensor, and the no start. Yes. So, so it has all. It started. It hasn't given me any problem with no start. The O2 sensor is working better than I changed it. I thought we unstuck the wastegate because it was stuck at the pivot point on the turbo that actually opens the flapper valve. So I was worried. We undid the wastegate from the flapper valve on the turbo and made sure that that moved. So it didn't seize inside the turbo housing. So it actually seized on the little pivot point. It's like, okay. So I cleaned it up, put it on with a little copper anti-seize to give it a little lubrication, put it back together. We gave it like 10 PSI. Like we turned the regulator down way, like way, way down on the compressor. Why do we do that, Andrew? Because a long time ago, <laughs> uh, Actually, my dad did this. We weren't. We were messing around for whatever reason. I don't even remember why we were doing it. We were messing around with the wastegate on my Talon when it was still stock, and we blew out the diaphragm. Yeah, you put a lot more than you know, fifteen yeah. to seventeen pounds yeah. boost through it, or, or, so, boost or air pressure through it. Uh, I this was when I was like eighteen or nineteen. So I went when you could still go to a junkyard and find these cars, and I pulled the wastegate out of the junkyard and made the car run. And then, like a week later, I bought an OEM wastegate actuator and put it back on the car, on the stock 14B. And we'll come back to that in a minute. So, I believe what happened is, on the Gallant, when the wastegate got stuck on the on the flapper valve part, that maybe it also seized somewhere else or it caused the diaphragm to like stick and just blow out or something. Because even with, like, 10 PSI, it wasn't moving far enough. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, real stiff. So it was, it was holding boost shut too long, and the car was overboosting, running lean, and retarding the timing, and then falling flat at its face. So it was no good. But what happened was, when I was putting this car together, the Gallant, I wanted to put the stock 14B in it. I bought a used turbo, because the one I had laying around was no good. It didn't come with an actuator, for whatever reason... And I was like, whatever, that's not a big deal. I've got two spare ones. I will put one on. So when I go to put the car back together, uh, I'm putting the whole Glock together. I could not find the spare wastegate actuators anywhere. They got put away in a box somewhere in the garage. They got moved around. I couldn't find them. I was like, all right, whatever. Excuse me. At the time, you could go on eBay and uh, it's like this weird company. It's still on there. It's like Kinyawara or something. 
It's a Chinese company. They had knockoffs of the factory wastegate for like 35 bucks. I was like, I'll try it. And it worked for like four years until it apparently corroded and broke. Yeah. So I was like, all right. Well, it had the disadvantage of being in your garage where it had a little bit of dampness to it too. I'm sure it didn't help. It's true. But I mean, it worked perfectly fine. So I don't know if you need to go that route, it will probably work for you. I had no problems with it other than now. Yeah. After 30,000 miles. Well, if the so. car was driven all the time, it might not have ever happened. But the car yeah. sat for the winter, yeah. and it was fine when you parked it, and it just, you know, eventually yeah. went bad. And I was even looking again, because I wasn't sure if I could find my spare ones. They make, like, some billet one now that's, like, adjustable. I don't know if it's any good. I'd have to look into it. Doesn't matter. Because after we, or while we were letting the paint dry on the lift, I was over there, and I started looking through some boxes that I hadn't checked yet. Because about a year after I had put the Galant together, I opened up a box as I was cleaning out the garage, and there were my two wastegates. Oops. And I was like, all right, there's where those are. I'll remember where those are because I may need them again. And sure enough, I needed them again. And so luckily, I have a, like a nearly new Mitsubishi OEM wastegate. Has it been installed yet? It was installed on my Talon. No, oh, I mean, but you put it in the line. No, I've had a time, okay. and then it was raining, and the car's seen my driveway. Right. Because you can do it on the ground. It's, like, super easy. Yeah, it's wide open. I was also waiting for my HPS silicone vacuum hose to come in, because I might as well, if i got to take the vacuum hose off, I might as well just rerun it do it. Yep. all the silicone ones that I wanted to do anyways. So I'm just going to do that all at once. And i got my spark plugs to change, and I'll do that, and the car should be all set once it's done. I hope. Fingers crossed. I think it'd be good. It should be fine. But anyway, so that's where that car stands. Uh, Anything else? There was nothing, right? Were there any other project cars you worked on? Because I haven't really done much. Nope. It was sort of like we talked about the Rallycross. That was kind of a project car payoff. Yeah, exactly. It was a payoff of of helping a friend with his project car. Yeah. But, all right, so let's get to... uh, from last week, we did have some listener answers okay. for our question. Uh, I don't think we had any on Instagram. I grabbed the ones from Facebook. If you want to read those. Uh, sure, I can get into that. Hold on, let me uh, scroll through here. Uh, listener answers we're going on to right now. This was your favorite badge-engineered car? Yes. Or least favorite, maybe? or. Or this could even count as stuff that we forgot. Yeah, anything you thought that should be discussed and talked about. Now, God, this beer is so good. I know, it's really good. It's very distracting to me. Um, obviously, with our podcast being, by design, a little bit Mitsubishi-centric, um, it's no surprise that our listeners are Mitsubishi fans. Um, Frank Eck, who we know through the Montero Owners Group, uh, says that... Uh, how about using the? How about Mitsubishi settling for the Dakota to make a Raider pickup? Maybe they'll finally bring real Mitsubishi pickups in after that ugly fiasco. Um, that was a terrible truck because that particular Dakota was a terrible truck. Um, they always had problems with window regulators and exhaust manifolds cracking and rust, and they were just terrible trucks. <laughs> So just generally getting parts from them was a pain in the ass too. It was the Mitsubishi specific parts were never really uh, supported properly by 
the manufacturer, and they were ugly on top of it. They kind of looked like a Endeavor Gallant pickup truck. I don't know. They were just they were kind of gross. Well, they had the Dodge styling that Kenworth styling that Dodges have. Yeah, that tall center section on the grill and lower headlights. But then mixed with like Mitsubishi stuff with like Endeavor headlights. Yeah, it just didn't work. And nobody bought them until they sat in the lots forever, and they pretty much gave them away. Yep. So, I mean, what, would I drive one? Maybe <laughs> just as a beat around truck, but I would never like. They wouldn't. They wouldn't last long enough. I would never aspire to own one by any means. Um, so yes, Frank, we didn't talk about that because we like to deny its existence. Uh-huh. Uh Tyler Kenneth Lindstrom uh, says my favorite badge engineered old car is probably the Starion Conquest. Again, a Mitsubishi because us and our fans are Mitsubishi fans. Whatever. It was a good choice. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but his favorite new car would probably be the BRZ GT86 since he owns one, which is also a good choice. And Andrew and I have often talked about how one day when they're cheaper cars and not $20,000 cars, we'll probably own them too because... They're starting to get cheaper. They're exactly what we've always wanted. You know, they're... A hardtop version of a Miata, a hardtop version of an MGB, like an MGB GT. They're just, they're a cool looking little simple car. And there's no more simple cars in the market except for that one. So. They gave us what we wanted and we weren't ready to buy it new. Exactly. Because we're not rich. Not that you'd be rich to buy one. We didn't have, we, we're, we're too into our old cars <laughs> to well, that, sacrifice just, that for the new car. There's something like, I mean, I, I call it right car, wrong economy. Right car, wrong economy. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Like the, I, again, we're going back to Mitsubishi, whatever. This is what we do. I maintain that the 2008, so when the Evo 10, but it was always just a 2008 Evo in this country. Yep. And that body style car came out in 2008. Obviously the economy crashed. And nobody was buying. And those cars. In fact, there is no. I've probably said this before. There is no 2009 Mitsubishi Evos ever. They were never made because they skipped a whole year of production because nobody bought the cars. Yeah, that's me. 08s sitting on the lot because there's no money. To that point, there's still 2015s brand new sitting on the lots. So, yes, because the car just it aged. It aged. Other cars got better, and it was just there when money came back around. Now the problem with with that car is the Evo that came before it, the 8s and 9s, were so drastically different that people who bought the 8s and 9s, a lot of them didn't want the 10. And a lot of people that would have bought a 10, maybe had experience with an 8 or a 9, they were like, nope, the car's too raw. That could have added to the problem, too, because that was a much more finished, proper, like, touring car than the 8 and 9, which were practically four-door go-karts. Yeah, but they're still really fast. I, I would take a 10 over a 9. There's no doubt that they're really fast. Um, I would not, but I owned an 8, so I'm a little biased. Um, I owned an 8 right before you had your STI. However, I would have taken an STI over both. To which you are kicked off the podcast, <laughs> which you own, because it's the wrong thing to say. No, I like the torque of the 2.5 better. Well, I'll tell you, the the one thing that I didn't like about the STI... Um, the main complaint I had about the car was the seating position. So well, being in Jordan's have... being in Jordan's car, you know, with an aftermarket seats and seat brackets, it completely changes the whole my whole thought on the car. It was just the car you sat too high in the car. It didn't feel like a sports car to me when you drove the car. Coming from my Evo, we 
practically sat on the pavement and getting into the STI. The STI just felt, I almost want to say it felt too normal. Like it didn't feel any different sitting behind the wheel than like my mom's Accord. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, maybe being a little bit, a little over, you know, exaggerating the problem here. But that was my main problem with the car was the, the seating position, which can be changed. I mean, it certainly is something. I mean, when you have a four-door sedan as a sports car, it's not technically a sports car. No, but again, I had the Evo and it was fine. Seating position is typically more upright. Yeah, it is. But All right. Anyway, so moving on. Yeah. Uh, wasabi cars. Uh, Daniel says, just listened to the latest episode. Most enjoyable. Thank you, Dan. Uh, pictured, and obviously attached a picture to this post. Posted it to the Off Topic Facebook page. Yes. Uh, pictured is a Mitsubishi assembled Henry J. No, not badge engineered or platform shared. Um, I think I would almost call that badge engineered even though it was built as a knockdown kit. I did not know this. I have always loved Henry J's. They made cool gassers in the 50s and 60s. Um, Our whole badge engineering topic started last week with a discussion of the Henry J because it was sold as the Sears Allstate as well. I did not realize that Mitsubishi was ever involved with anything with the Henry J. Um, And I had not realized that they sold them in Japan as Henry J's through Mitsubishi. So Mitsubishi would buy an unassembled Henry J in the States, ship them as knockdown kits to Japan, reassemble them, and sell them to the Japanese public. Now, that's different from the Mitsubishi Jeep, right? The Mitsubishi Jeep was sold, at, was was built in Japan, but it was a licensed from the United States. Licensed from Willys at that time? Probably first Willys and then Chrysler and whatever happened in between. I don't know. It was probably Willys, Ford, AMC. Yeah, whoever. Whoever licensed it first. I don't know the timeline of that. But those were always built by Mitsubishi. But then they but they didn't have the Jeep four-cylinder in them. No, they're Mitsubishi-powered. That's what's strange, That's right? what's awesome. I mean, I really want one. Uh, but also, as a longtime Henry J fan, I'd never heard this Mitsubishi connection. And now... I'm having a really hard time in my head not justifying looking for one because for some reason I feel the need to collect anything and everything Mitsubishi. And even though Henry J's sold here were not Mitsubishis, that history of it is endearing enough to me that I'd like to try to find one <laughs> and maybe promote, yeah. promote this history to other people. Um, just because as a giant Mitsubishi nerd who doesn't do anything but look at this stuff all the time, I had no idea until Daniel brought it up to me. And he had seen it in the Mitsubishi Corporate Museum. Yep. So, which I really want to go to. And maybe if I ever get to Japan, Daniel, you can show me around because that would be an amazing trip. Yes. So. And then he, he also, also pictured. Yeah. Oh, you want to talk about that one? Go ahead. Well, it was the a car that looks like a fourth-gen Mirage. So it looks similar to our Riley Mirage, or is it later? Nope, that's the one. It's fourth, the fourth-gen. It's the 93.45 Mirage. Yeah. Uh, but they're actually, it's a company, a Malaysian company called Proton. And I think they're just, I think all of them are rebadged Mitsubishis. They're made by Proton though. So it's all Mitsubishi stampings, but not built by Mitsubishi at all. So it's a Malaysian car company called Proton. Yes. Yep. Okay. But they also made a car called the Jumbuck, 
which is a Starian Ute, right? No, no, I'm it's sorry, a, it's a Mirage Ute, Ute which yeah. is it's it's basically it's on the brain. It's basically a Mitsubishi Mirage El Camino. Oh, my favorite! No, Andrew and Andrew and anybody who knows him knows he hates El Caminos. They're horrible, and I and I don't hate El Caminos. In fact, I love El Caminos. I want to crush them all. Fire them into the sun. I actually owned the GMC version for a while, the uh, Caballero. But it wasn't like the... You had like the worst 80s one. No, they're not worst. They're good. As far as looks, those are the worst ones. I You lie. The, it's not true. The worst ones were like the 77s. Anyway, um, so it's a Mirage front, which is also a Lancer in Japan and other countries. So there are a few of them out there that people have done uh, Evo 1, 2, and 3, you know, front bumpers, hoods, and 4G6, 3-hour drive swaps, too. So another someday project in the back of Brad's crazy mind is an Evo El Camino, or an Evo Camino, as if you would, I guess. So it's a terrible thing to say. It's a terrible thing to say. I'm sorry I said it, Andrew, but I do like pickup truck, car-based pickup trucks. Volkswagen Caddies, Chevy El Caminos, Ford Ranchero. All right, I'll give you like a 71 Chevelle El Camino or 71 El Camino with yep. the Chevelle nose. I like it's that. It's cool. See? So there's a lot of cool ones out a there. A 59 El Camino. It's like amazing. That. Yeah. You usually like the 80s ones because you don't like the 80s 85, or... yeah. El Camino, I did not like. Mine was an 84 and it was a Caballero. It was silver with a red middle and the red yeah, glory. Speaking of badge engineering, it was a yeah, GMC. Yeah. yeah, the GMC Caballero. So, and actually our neighbors in Salem, our parents' neighbors in Salem have a, um, 78 Caballero Royal Knight. Where? Um, what's his name from the Getty station? Oh, really? Yeah. It's awesome. It's like, it's black with like Trans Am style, like birds and gold pinstripes. The 150 horsepower 350? If that. It might even (laughs) be a six cylinder, which mine was too. It was the... Well, like a 2.8 or a 3.7 oh, yeah, Real fireball that thing is. Hey, listen, I was a teenager. I never actually even drove the thing. Yeah, you're lucky. Saved you the embarrassment. I saved you the embarrassment because you've been the passenger. I think the doors are rotted off, too. I had doors for it, remember? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, they sat in the yard forever and I never faced the car. Much to the chagrin of dad. Or my dad. But anyway, so yeah, that's, that's the... Uh, He also brought up the 40th anniversary Corvette that we talked about. Which is interesting because it's a picture of one in Japan with yeah. like a body kit. Not cared for at all. Just yeah. parked outside. But anyway, uh, listener questions. Go ahead. All right. So we'll start off with uh, the first one I've got is Wasabi Cars. Also, yes. Another question from Dan. And uh, he said, have you collected parts for, uh, have you collected parts you have no use for? So I collect parts and you guys made fun of me the other day. Because I had that wastegate, and I was so excited to find it. But you know what? I don't have to buy a wastegate because yeah, I already no, had it. True. I bought it 10 years ago. However, I think this is not a no-use-for-it part because you own two cars that have Mitsubishi turbos. In, in theory, I should never have any use for it if it doesn't break. But. Right, but you have it's, it's a replacement part if you have it. Yeah. Now, if you had a wastegate you know, actuator for a... You know, 1985 Lotus Esprit. Okay. Like, why do you have that part? Or if you had a sweet aftermarket part, which I think is what Dan is more referring to, 
like if you had a specific TRD steering wheel that worked in an MR2 in 1986, you thought it was cool looking, but you didn't have anything to put it on. Do you have anything weird like that? Mm, Andrew's looking around the room. I am we're, we're in his stashed basement of stuff. No, I don't, I don't actually. I only collect kind of stuff either. I'm looking at an Evo wing. You never put that in anything. Oh, yeah, I guess so. I have an Evo 10 wing because it was Evo a... Evo 9 wing. What, it's an eight, Evo 8. Whatever it is, yeah. Eight, 8 or 9. Yeah. Because it, it was a warranty return when I was working at the dealer, and they were like, throw it away. I was like, sure. Because it yeah. had carbon. It, I the, remember you used to have it in your room at your parents' house as a like a desk adornment, and you used the, the wing surface a, for display shelf for models. Yeah, it works <laughs> as a really good desk shelf. If you get one of those yep. flat IKEA desks, in fact, I should probably reset it up like that. Because it's like super, super light for the size because it's real carbon. Yeah, it's carbon, yeah. It just had a little bit of clear coat peel, so they replaced it on a warranty. I have like two or three of those around. I think I gave yeah, you I have, one. I have one too for the same yeah. reason. Um, I have a lot of wheels that I don't have any use for. Oh, I guess I have these these 16-inch uh, wheels that would fit my Galant, but I only have three of them. So oh, that's right, too. Those are the... Uh, they're HRE something. I don't know what yep. what they are, but they're, they're like true, a... True three-piece. Yeah, they're like a reverse mount yeah, uh, really three-piece. Really good-looking wheel. If I could find, find a fourth, fourth one, one yeah. I don't. but I don't know what the model is, so I can't figure it out. Maybe we should post a picture of it and see if people can figure it out again. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, I have a lot of wheels. I have way too many wheels. Yeah. Um, as far as parts. You should get some cars to put them on. or Well, I have cars to put them on. It's just I have more sets of wheels than I have cars, um, which isn't a bad thing. You have that too, I guess. But I have two sets of four by 100 wheels. I have the braids from the Mirage that yeah. you bought. Um, I also have a set of uh, Sentra 7s, which are a European, an 80s European wheel out of Volkswagen BMW guys use. Yep. They're kind of a weird-looking triangle design with a flat center cap. They're, like, so ugly, they're cool kind of wheels. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a set of, of um, uh, Watanabe's that I want to put on probably the Starion. I have couple of sets of Anki 92s. I have a couple of steel wheel sets. I have factory sets for an Audi 4000 that I don't even own anymore. Yeah, I have doors. Are... I have doors for the Audi 4000 that I don't even own anymore. Yeah, you should sell those. Nobody wants them. Really? <laughs> yeah. I put up a few times, but... Solid like, doors? Nobody wants them? Nobody wants them. Weird. I can't bring myself to throw them away either because I no. know the second I do, I'll be like... I'll stumble across this Audi 4000 project car that needs two Yeah, doors. I guess. And then, yeah, the Renaults for it. You kept those. I don't have the Renault. I sold those. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wanted to keep them, but somebody offered me too much money. So, because those are cool wheels. Yeah, I let them go. They're rare. They're like one of a hundred sets ever made in that yeah. color. So, somebody wanted them more than I needed them, and for the money at the time, I said, "Yep, see you later." Well, yeah. What are you gonna put them on? Exactly, because they only fit Audis, <laughs> and like actually, they would have fit like a Ford Focus because they're four and one weight, I think. But nothing I'm ever gonna own. So no. So, yeah, I have wheels. That's about it. Okay. I think that's it. Jordan Mellum says, Jordan being the owner of the STI I keep talking about, why is Andrew's foot so heavy? I don't know. I'm not even sure I can walk with it. It's just my left foot. It's just so heavy. Yeah, we brought this up in the beginning just, of the podcast. Just solid just lead. Talking about Andrew just flailing his arms and feet all around the rallycross course. Yeah. It was fun, though. Um, Jeremy asked an interesting question. Jeremy's always good for interesting questions, actually. If you could spend a day with an automotive-related person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Did you have anyone? I, I mean, there's way too many answers for this question. Between race car drivers and car designers. Just pick and, one. 
I don't know if I can pick one. It's it's I, I can't do you it. You have to pick one. I can't do it, Andrew. I just can't do it. Just pick one for the sake of the listeners. Um, ugh, you go first. All right, because I I picked one. I I said Ken Purdy. Okay, and uh, he's probably the grandfather of like automotive journalism. And um, I have one of his books. You can probably find it used pretty inexpensively because it's like a super old book and it's just kind of a cheap paperback. Okay, which is Kings of the Road. And it's interesting because he's writing about a lot of like early, early cars, like Mercers and Packards and all stuff that's like pre World War II. Brass era stuff. Oh, after brass era. So. Yeah, in between uh, mid year war. Mid war? <laughs> well, what do you call those? There's it's a, not pre war because it's not pre World War One. Interwar, I yeah, think. Maybe inter I don't know. Shoot. I have no idea, but there is a term for the cars between World War One and World War Two. I think it's interwar years, peace cars. Yeah, peacetime cars. That's interesting. I never read that book. I'll have to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if I had to pick up one, pick one person. Um, when I was a child, I was obsessed with automotive design because all I did in school, rather than schoolwork, was draw pictures of cars in mm-hmm. notebooks and on everything and everywhere. And I was obsessed with all of the um, 1950s, 40s and 50s car designers where cars went from more functional design to more stylized design. Um, so I'd probably like to meet Harley Earl. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, because he was kind of like the beginning of that whole jet age of automotive yep. design. So in the, you know, the late 40s. And I actually used to do almost every year I had to do a book report. I'd pick a book about Harley Earl and, and do it. So... Yeah, I mean, he penned some of the most iconic designs. Yeah, yeah some era. of my favorites uh, yeah. came from from Harley Earl's designs and his design studios and his coworkers and yep. his 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 mind. So, and the great Buick Y job, which is his most famous car that you know he designed and had the concept built and then kept himself to drive daily. Yes, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> but I think that based on my automotive design. That was what my my career path was going to be when I was a kid. You know, I was like, "Hey, when I'm older, I'm going to go to Detroit and design cars." Not knowing that by the time I was older, pen and ink drawings were kind of on the outs. And in the '90s, it was all computerized everything. Yeah, but and still, it, it was still pen and ink. But it was just not. What you should have done is gone to California and worked at design studio in California. Well, I should have done a lot of things, Andrew. <laughs> but here I am sitting in the basement with you talking about in cars. A cold, rainy April. Yes. <laughs> it is what it is. We make the best of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not I'm not unhappy with my choices. I have a great life. Hey, we have some good we have a good rally cross uh, area. So. We do. Yeah. That's there's that. It is. Although California has the desert rally cross stuff. That's true. So they have it pretty good too. Anyway, back to questions. Yes. We're getting a little long here. Um, also from Jeremy, he asked three questions, which as I've jokingly said before is his limit. Okay. Um, what are three things a car show creator can do to make sure that it's an awesome show? And so I clarified that this is a physical car show, not Not a a television car show. Okay. I had that same question. I wasn't sure because if you wanted to know what three things made a television car show so cool, I would say he should tell us because he's the one with the successful YouTube channel. Yes. Uh, which is A1 Auto. Is that what it is, correct? On YouTube? It has 1A Auto. 1A Auto, yes. 1A Auto on YouTube. Look it up. He's got some interesting car videos and fact videos and some uh, yep. other videos on there. Um, but for, anyway, all the way around, for a physical car, car show, what are three things that make it great? 
Location? Yes. Shade? Yes. I guess we could throw shade in with vacation. That's in location. Yeah. So location? Um, location? <laughs> uh, I think uh, I was kind of against it at one point. I had this argument with you about curating a car show. Okay. Um, but in some cases, it definitely makes it better. I don't think curating a car show is a good idea. Um, unless it's a specific event like a concourse or a, hey, this is a Camaro event or this is a Datsun event. That's the only time I think it's okay. And even then, I think that advertising it to the right crowd is more important than curating. Okay. So if you don't want a, and I don't want to alienate any listeners or any anybody, but if you don't want a younger loud stereo revving their exhaust all the time, burnout crowd, don't advertise it on a major Facebook tuning page or, um, I don't know, word of mouth it through people who you know are going to be more what you're looking for, I guess. Yeah. No, that's fair. I, I, I don't agree 100% with no, curating. No, there, but there are some people that do not know how to be a haven public. 100%. And some of them are adults. So yes. it's not even... I, I can bring it up. We went to a Cars and Coffee event once, and everybody was kind of keeping themselves in line a little bit. And then a police officer rolled through. It was like, oh, check this out, guys. And he did a burnout in his police car and opened the floodgates for... All the dummies to be like, oh, the cop did it. Guess what's going to happen now? Time to run on two steps and do burnouts and play loud music. Yeah. So anybody can ruin anything. But I think it's just more important to kind of have the right crowd. So that might also go with location. But I think as long as you have a good location, it's got some shade, it's centralized to everybody. You have the right, you don't need trophies. You don't need any of that stuff. But you have the right atmosphere for food, for whatever. So, mm-hmm. so I, I think it all comes down to location, to be honest with you. Okay. I can't think of anything else that makes a car show a better thing than that. If it's in a nice place with things to do for the whole family. So you don't want the middle of a paved parking lot in August? Oh, it's the worst. Okay. That's the worst. Or on the side of the deep woods anytime in the summertime because it's a mosquito fest. All right. So it's it's, it's got to be the right place. Usually like a like a nice park <laughs> it's like a, yeah it's a good place to do it or sometimes if you can get it even a big parking lot that has a lot of buildings around that have food and coffee and other places you can kind of like you can bring the whole family and the family can be like oh well, you're gonna enjoy the car show we can't wait to get coffee at the coffee shop and maybe there's a, a couple of small little stores we can walk around in while you're at the car show well it's like it used to be cruise nights or the like thing you had yeah and then it sort of became Cars and coffee. They still have the cruise nights, though. They do. And that's the thing about the biggest cruise night around here. Where is it at? It's at the Skip's Driving. No, other than that one, the Wednesday night show. Well, it's at the mall. It's at the mall. But it's at night, so it's cooler. Right. But your whole family is, even your non-car members of the family, will come along and they'll support your hobby. Yes. And they'll wander into the mall and you can do their thing. Walk around and, then, and listen to 50s music. Well, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about the show itself. What I'm saying is because of the location of the show, my wife and daughter are more likely to come with me, and then they'll walk around the show with me for a little bit, okay. and they'll be like, all right, well, you have your fun, hang out with your friends, we're going to go in the mall and maybe go to the food court, maybe do some window shopping, maybe do some actual shopping, and it just kind of 
like not that I don't want my family to hang out with me the whole time, but I understand that my car interest isn't their car interest. Yep. So it's kind of nice to have other things for the family to do. All right. All right. Fair enough. Moving on. Moving on. I'm getting getting the moving on signs from Andrew. Um, What automotive-related phone apps should car enthusiasts check out? Jeremy Nuts. Fourth question. I didn't notice he had a fourth question. Jeremy, you are now sacked. No, that's the third one. Uh, Nope. Fourth. No, because your answer is That was my note in there. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Okay. Uh, What automotive-related apps should car enthusiasts check out? I, I don't know. I don't use any. A phone app? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I use Facebook, and I've talked about curating. I have my Facebook page and my Instagram page curated to see car stuff all day. Yeah, that's that's I, yeah. if you like to look at car stuff, Instagram is really good for that. You can, yep. you can curate it really closely for that. Uh, so moving on, I don't have any other apps. Sorry. Uh, Juliet Jake, this is an awesome question, and it's right in my wheelhouse. Yep. Thoughts on vintage American compacts like Pintos, Vegas, Corvairs, and Mavericks? My answer is yes. Give me them all. I will take them. If nobody else wants them, you can also add Chevettes to the mix. I've always wanted a Cosworth Vega. Those are black awesome. on gold. Yep, or the burgundy on gold. Oh, the best. Yeah. Um, I've always liked Corvairs. I've always liked Mavericks. Um, I've even always liked Pintos and Vegas. I mean, I've always liked gremlins and <laughs> say gremlin everything I, I don't care if it's if it's out of the norm i want it i've always liked ramblers ramblers are one of my favorite cars ever and not even like the rambler scramblers just like a the same body style but just a base model rambler it's always been like a, an entry-level way to get into cool old cars and then if you know enough about these things you know they used to race them and there are tons of cool like i'm not talking drag racing i'm talking sports car racing yes so there's tons of cool ones out there and vintage racing and vintage photography. You can see, you know, they would set a deep dish American racing four spokes or set a deep dish steel wheels and the right set of tires, and the right stance. And they just, you know, the right front spoiler, which they used to call a spook, which is a funny name for a spoiler. Yes. Um, under the front of the car. And they just, they looked super aggressive and they were tiny and they were just fun. Um, and I love them all. So yes, Julia, Jake, I will. Take all of them, and anybody who wants to get rid of them, has them in their yard, can send them my way. Yeah, I mean, I, and I definitely think that I don't see enough of them at car shows. No. no it goes right throwaway cars. It goes right with my Dodge Colts. You bring a Dodge Colt to a car show, everybody comes over and looks at it. I don't enjoy that specifically as the point of driving them, but it's true. You, you can park a Dodge Colt next to a Corvette, and nobody's going to look at the Corvette. Everybody remembers them. Yep. And that's or, why I look at them. It's like, oh, my God, I haven't seen one in so yeah. many X or, or years. Or I used to or, own one. Yep. Or my mother had one. Or my grandmother had one. Yeah. Or, but then on top of that, you can make it cool by playing with the stance, playing with the tires and wheels, playing with you know the exhaust, the motor, modern suspension. You can make them really cool really easily. Yep. So, Well, anyway. I like it. So, uh, as always, uh, we're going to call that a show. As always, you can find us on uh, Facebook at Auto Off Topic Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Auto Off Topic or me personally at Race and Anger. Uh, please rate, review, and share the podcast with your friends. It really helps us. Absolutely. That's our best advertisement. Uh, and as always, uh, this is brought to you by Vintage Imports of New England, Vintage Imports uh, NE.com, and Vintage Imports. Are you sure? And, uh, I, I, uh, yeah. I got confused with my website and my Instagram name. I have vintage imports of NE on yeah. Instagram. Okay. And uh, where can they find you? 
T-S-I-S-S-3-5-0 on in the Instagrams. Yes. And uh, the internets. So thanks for listening and keep your cars analog.